That's a really interesting question, actually. At first, I was thinking the Jetsons. Uh, some of you guys may be too young to know who the Jetsons are, were. Oh, does anybody know what year the Jetsons were supposed to take place? I feel like, like, 2020 would, like, make sense. Like, you know, I feel like back, back in the day when they created that stuff, they were like, oh, by the year 2000, we'll have flying cars and robots that take over everything. Yeah, so at first I thought Jetsons. Then I'm like, you know what? I think The Incredibles. I think I'd like to be part of the – is that what, anybody else say Incredibles? Yeah? It'd be lame to be, like, the member of the Incredibles family that doesn't have superpowers. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or you're, like, a really lame superpower. Like, you always have the power to have correct change. Or, you know, it's like, it's like well, it's not as cool as some of the other ones. Um, for some of you guys, like um, – that are very like particular kind of AR kind of people. Uh, you may have noticed. Anybody, anybody know the typo in September? Anybody notice that? Yeah, it's okay. You're in a safe place. I noticed it. It bothered me. Uh, it said September. <laughs> September. And I just want you to know it's not like a play on words. Uh, we do know how to spell words, <laughs> and it is spelled September. So just, <laughs> just want, you're in a safe place. But it bothers me. You know that it bothered me too. Uh, we just gotta take it to the Lord. Okay. Um, <laughs> Hey, uh, today we're in part two of uh, where we started last week of morning, noon, and night, where we're talking about Sabbath, this whole idea of Sabbath. Before we hop into it, there's, there's one thing I wanted to let you guys know. Uh, some of you guys know that we partner uh, heavily with an organization called Young Lives. Uh, Young Lives is a branch off Young Life. If you, I went to Young Life in high school. Young Life is an outreach to high school students. Uh, Young Lives is a branch of that that focuses on teen parents, so high schoolers that are also parents. Can you imagine? That's the craziest uh, thing. I could not imagine having to juggle homework and, you know, lunch table stress and sports and then also raising a, a child. So we support that. One of the ways that we can support them is on September 7th, which is coming up here very shortly, uh, we've, uh, we're going to sponsor their first club's meal. All right. So we, we are, as a church, are going to feed 60 people. Uh, so if you want to be a part of that, at first they were like, can you cook for 60 people? And I'm like, I don't think I can cook for 60 people, but we can cater something. I can use the phone and I can call up El Toro and we can cater in some tacos. Uh, so <laughs> so help me help you. So all that to say, if you want to be a part of that, I'm guessing it'll be around 500 bucks. If you want to help make that happen, and what happens at club is they have times where they inspire, they encourage, challenge these teen moms and dads, as well as take care of their kids, give them a little break that way too. Because at the end of the day, it's almost like a youth group for teen parents in some ways, but also giving some life skills uh, as well. So if you want to be a part of making that happen, uh, if you're giving uh, in person in the, offer, in the generosity box, just write Young Lives, and we'll make sure it goes uh, to them. But we're already committed to doing it, uh, so let's do it. All right, so uh, last week we started this whole series of morning, noon, uh, and night. We talked about this idea of Tetris. If you, if you missed the teaching for a reason, I'll give a, a short little uh, recap at one and a half speed here so we can dig into this week's message. But we talk about the idea of Tetris, the Nintendo game Tetris, the old school game, where it starts off really slow, right? And it's almost, if, if you're any, if you like a faster pace, like if you're like me and you like a faster pace, it is almost too slow. And you're like spinning the thing clockwise and counterclockwise and experimenting. And then you even get to a point where you're going, this is too slow for me. So you press the down uh, button to make it go faster because it's going too slow, right? And then it's, it starts to speed up. It starts to get complex. It starts to get more chaotic. The, the Russian music plays a little faster and faster, right? And what happens is it gets more and more chaotic 
until we make a mistake. And we talked about last week how the faster it gets, the more chaotic the game gets, the more likely you are to make a mistake. We talked about how Nintendo knows this. So when it gets crazy and you press the pause button, because you just need a second to gather your thoughts, to breathe, to try to, you know, they tell you like the next three pieces coming up, you know. So you're trying to breathe and think about it. But when you press pause, what happens? The screen goes blank, right? And so you can't pre-plan because Nintendo knows it. If you were to take a pause and evaluate, you would make better decisions. But they don't want you to make better decisions. They want you to live in the chaos so you make mistakes. And inevitably, inevitably the game ends when we go too fast. It gets faster than our brain can comprehend. Those are different speeds for all of us. I'm on the slower end. So it goes too fast for us, and we make a mistake, and another mistake, and another mistake, and they start to pile up until, you know, the curtain falls and we're done. And we talk about how it's the same with our lives. That sometimes it gets more and more complex, more and more chaotic. And, and sometimes the chaos and complexity comes from a speed thing. There's just too much stuff we have to do, right? Sometimes, like I think a lot of us experienced this in the last year and a half during this pandemic, you know, a little thing where the world shut down, where you may have more free time, but there's more tensions. There's more arguments. There's more landmines in every conversation. There's more... There's just more, you have to weigh every word you're saying and everything that you're posting, right? Too many arguments going online, but it becomes more and more tense. And the more complex and chaotic life gets, the more likely you and I are to make mistakes, right? So in the middle of all the tensions, we're looking for release valves. We make mistakes maybe financially. We, we spend money on things that we would never have spent on before. We used to be generous and we're not generous anymore. Or we make decisions or mistakes relationally. Where we used to be... Uh, Let's just say during the past year and a half, it seemed like the, the level of grace we give each other, the level of humility, the level of teachability, uh, the level of love that covers disagreements seems to have gone down. Maybe you make mistakes ethically. Things that were black and white before kind of slide into the gray. Things that you said, I will never do this or that. You start to dabble a toe in that. And maybe that becomes a habit. Maybe you made decisions and mistakes with your health, with your fitness. Your cheat meal has become your every meal. You are on a first-name basis with jack-in-the-box or whatever your, your thing is. You've made some decisions uh, that kind of are starting to add up. And just like Tetris, the game stops either when you make too many mistakes and you're forced to stop or you choose to press pause. Same with our lives. It can stop, the chaos stops in one of two ways. Either the bad decisions pile up and those force you to, to pause or you can intentionally pause. This is what we're talking about with taking a weekly Sabbath and the Sabbath's, you know, longer cousin sabbatical, right? Where you take some time to pause. Last week we talked about three elements of Sabbath. The first element, let me clarify, the, the three elements that, I incorporated into my Sabbath. There are dozens of elements you can do in your Sabbath. And here's the problem with Sabbath for me. A couple of things. One, um, we talk about it at times, and then we're used to not doing anything about it, right? So that's one issue. The second thing is we talk about it and talk about the why behind it, but don't often give too many handles. So I grew up going to church going, yeah, I need to take a, week, a, a day off a, a week, but I didn't know what I was supposed to do with that. 
right? Am I supposed to sleep and like watch movies? Like what am I supposed to do with that? So I want to give you some handles of ways you can come out of Sabbath each week with actually being rejuvenated. So the three elements that we talked about last week that I incorporated into mine, and again, you don't have to do it into yours necessarily, but this is just what works for me. First one is rest, rest. Like literally just to stop. Right, we talk about the fact that the reason why we love music, all different kinds of music, is because of the rests. If music never had any rest, whether you like jazz or you're a weirdo likes country or hip hop or whatever you listen to or even EDM, even screamo music has rests, right? Right. If you don't, if, if the music you listen to doesn't have rests, it's just noise. And some of our lives feel that way. It's just stuff. It's just full. It's just noise. But there's no beauty. It's not, it's not bringing anything productive into this world. So we talk about rest. Sabbath comes from the word Shabbat we talk about. And Shabbat literally means to cease. So Sabbath means a day to cease, a day to stop. Whatever your nine to five is, whatever fills your week, to take a day and just stop doing that. And so we ask the question because we like to ask questions around here, right? So the simple question with this is not like glamorous. It's not super heady. It's this. When are you going to take your Sabbath? Like Really? When are you going to take your Sabbath? Before we go on to the other elements and, and we can break down the Greek and Hebrew of what Sabbath means, when are you going to take your Sabbath? Like, really? Not just talk about it. And you may be one of those people that's like, well, it's just a crazy season right now. Right, but that season's been a lot longer than a season, hasn't it? That season's been multiple seasons. It's been years. I've heard, I've heard friends talk about how it's been a busy season, but it's literally been over a decade of a busy season. So... When are you going to take Sabbath? And the reality is, do you know how I know you can take Sabbath right now? Or at least work towards it? It's because if something went royally wrong in your life, if you had a crisis in your life, if you got a phone call you never wanted to get about someone that's close to you, that's in the hospital, you need to fly across the country, do you know what? You could take a day and not check your email. You could take a day and, but why wait until life causes you to pause, intentionally pause? So rest. When are you going to take your Sabbath? The second thing we talked about was recharging, recharging. That we have a battery, of a, a spiritual, emotional, mental, physical battery, and it depletes over time, right, over the week. Doing the things that you don't like doing, right? So for me, it's like anything to do with a spreadsheet. If I have to open Microsoft Excel, my battery, you can like watch it go down, right? But you may like that. But doing the things that you don't like to do depletes your battery. Doing the things you even like to do also depletes your battery, right? So we talk about the fact that I'm an introvert. I mean, our introverts, we can get together by ourselves in our homes online or something, right? So introverts, you can go to settings like this because I'm an introvert that loves actually this kind of stuff because it's people, but I know that when I come to church, my battery is drained, right? I just know that. So we talk about the question for this one is, what recharges you? What recharges you? And every person is different. Last, last Friday, we had small group, and uh, we were talking about the fact that different members of different spouses have different things that recharge them. So my wife and I take different Sabbaths on different days because what recharges her does not recharge me and vice versa. So, you know, I read all these marriage books about these couples that take a day off together and they hold hands and skip through fields of daisies. And I'm just like, well, I don't even understand that because if we did everything she wanted to do on Sabbath, I would be drained. Like I would dread that day and vice versa, right? So what recharges you? 
What, what is it that if you did this for a, a section of a day or a large portion of the day, that you would leave that time going, I feel recharged. And here's the thing, can I, t- can I give, you, give you a little grace? It's going to change per season. Some seasons, it'll be, you know, fried chicken, <laughs> right? Some seasons, it'll be salads. Some days, it'll be naps. Some seasons, it'll be working out. But what is it that will recharge you? All right, be intentional about that. So that's the question we asked there. And the third one we talked about last week was recognize. Recognize the good in your life. Recognize the God sends in your life and recognize that God is in control. The good is just all the blessings. We talk about the fact that I don't think any of us are struggling with having to find three meals a day. I think most of our issues is we have five or six meals a day, right? That's our issue, right? So you have so much good that if you make minimum wage, you make 30 times the international average, right? We're blessed. We're super fortunate. There's so much good. Second thing with the God sends. These God sends are people that God sends into your life that add value to your life. And the third thing is God is in control. So the questions we asked with these, as you take your time on your Sabbath to do this, is number one, what are the 10 ways God has blessed you? What are 10 ways God has blessed you? Right? And you're, you may go, well, I'm, it's more than 10. Yeah, yeah. But start with 10. And what you're doing when you take time to stop and recognize is you're training your eyes to see the good, the things that we naturally ignore. Right, gratitude is this idea of, the Hebrew idea of it is to search for the good. That's what it means. That's what gratitude means, search for the good. So what are 10 ways God has blessed you? Second thing is, with the second question with a God sends, is who are three God sends in your life? Not God's sons, God sends. What are three God sends? Who are three God sends in your life? And you may go, talk. I have way more. I know you have way more. We all have way more than that. But start with three. Because part B of that is, how can you show them your appreciation? Too many of us wait till someone's funeral to tell a bunch of strangers how much that person meant to us. Tell that, write them a card, text them, send them a $5 Starbucks gift card, something just to say thank you. My my guess is they have no idea how much they mean to you, right? But you're like, oh, you tell everybody else, they mean they've changed my life, they add as much value. They just don't know it. They haven't heard it from you. And just like, I'm, I'm not really an encouraging words person. I have to force myself to do it because I, I feel like I don't need it because I grew up in a house where if I wasn't being critiqued, consider that an encouragement, right? Some of you guys grew up in a house like that, right? So I tend to live that way as well. But I can't tell you how life-giving it is even for me when someone encourages, right? So who are three godsons in your life? And then how can you show them your appreciation? The third question, yeah, they're all up here, is for the for the recognizing God is what are you trying to control that is out of your control? What are you trying to control that is out of your control? My guess is a lot of the anxiety, stress, tension comes from trying to control things that you cannot control. Why is my friend, my, this person posting stuff on social media? Don't they know? You can't control them. You can't. So stop trying to control them. If my kid would just, if my parent would just, if my boss would just, my employees, you can't control them. You can't control 99% of the circumstances in this world, right? So stop stressing out about the fact that you cannot control. Just recognize that you cannot control. So what are you trying to control that you can't? 
The reason why you can do this and rest in this is because God is in control and God is good and God is just. And one day there will be a reckoning, right? He'll set, the, he'll set everything straight. And I trust that he'll do it in the best loving way possible. It's wild that we want justice and control for everybody else. But we want grace and patience and freedom for ourselves. Right? Just trust that God is on the, on the clock with that individual or that situation that you want changed. And aren't you glad that God didn't, you know, nail you to the wall the very first time you messed up either. All right, so recognize it. What are you trying to control that is out of your control? If you want to go more in depth, please go back last week on the podcast, YouTube, Facebook, whatever, and listen to it because we go into far more depth. Today, we're going to talk about realigning and reengaging. Okay, realigning and reengaging. So first, realign, realign. Hebrews 4.13, uh, the author says, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. What this is saying, what this is saying essentially is God sees it. And what the author is trying to get us to do is live like that's true today. If God sees everything, then why not live as if that's true? Right? Everything is uncovered and laid bare before not just anybody, but to the eyes of him to whom we must give account that one day we'll have to explain our actions, right? Second verse with this, uh, one of my favorite verses, but also I really don't like it. Same with the last verse. Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. This is my weekly, when I talk about realigning, this is my weekly meeting with my supervisor. This is not about, okay, question. Any of you guys were like troublemakers in high school? Right? Okay, yeah, me, me too. You can raise your hands, yeah, okay. Alan, really? Okay, I'm gonna need more stories on that. So there's too many times, starting from like seventh grade through high school until I became a Christian, uh, junior year, and then it kind of tapered off a little bit. But I would be sitting in class, and we'd hear over the speakers, Mr. Gucci, please come to the principal's office. I knew Mr. Sargent, our principal, way too well, right? Like, I, I knew when his assistant changed candy in the, like it was, it was too much of a uh, close relationship. So, but I remember walking to the principal's office going, what does he know? Like, what is he like? I know there are several things I should get busted for. Which one does he know about? I'm not going to volunteer any information. I'm going to wait to see what he knows and then just confess to that, you know? This isn't that. This isn't like going to the principal's office and getting busted, just kind of giving layers of information, right? This is a desire to not let any distance form between you and God. This is a desire to say, God, I want to be so close to you. This is saying, search me. Every door to every room in my heart is unlocked for you. You can go anywhere you want. You want to talk about my past. You want to talk about uh, my relationships. You want to talk about my, my pursuit of you. You want to talk about my finances. You want to talk about how I spend my time. 
sexual ethic, everything. Like everything is uncovered and laid bare before you. What do you want to talk about? It says, point out anything in me. Point out anything in me that offends you. Like I, I don't want to wait. It's not wrong when you bust me. It's wrong when it's wrong. And I don't want to drift at all. This is a voluntary thing. It's easy to live distant from God like he can't see what you're doing. It's easy, especially for us Western professional Christians. It's easy for us to live as if God doesn't see what we do at work. I hear too many times people are like, oh, Taka, you don't want to see me at work. I'm a different person at work. You shouldn't be. You shouldn't be. That is called duplicity. That is called disintegrated because you're not integrated. Some might call it hypocrisy, right? And you can, and some of you guys have lived double lives like this because I live a double life for a while too, where I'd party on the weekends and go to church. On, I'd live like hell six days a week and go to church on Sunday and say, I'm sorry, right? And then kind of do that. I call myself like a Protestant Catholic, like just kind of did it over and over again, went to Sunday mass and got forgiven of this stuff, right? But here's the weird thing I felt in that season. When I was partying with my friends, I was all the way there. All the way there. I wasn't being fake. That was who I was. And then when I was at church, when I was praying, when I was surrendered to God, I was all the way there too. And I got to a point where there were two people living in my heart. And that's the problem with duplicitous living is you become disintegrated and you have to make a choice. Who are you? Who are you going to be? What decisions are you going to make? And so this is saying, I'm not going to let that life grow. I'm going to stay close to God. Sin grows in the dark and I'm going to make sure God's light shines in every corner of my heart, right? So too many of us live as if God can't see what we do at work. Too many of us live as if God can't see what we do with our relationships, what we allow to come out of our mouths and our relationships. Some of us act like we live like God can't see what we do with the money he gives us. But here's the crazy thing. We live that way, but then when it hits the fan, when we're in crisis, we want God to be so close. You give $1 to the church or you give a sandwich to someone that's homeless or you, and you're going, God, did you see this? I'm doing so good. I prayed last week. I went to church. I even volunteered. God, why, don't, why aren't you blessing me? Don't you see? Oh, he sees it all. He sees it all. So this is an invitation to live like that fully, that God would see everything in our lives. Test me. See if there's anything out of whack. One of my favorite things to do, one, I can't really swim. Uh, I can survive, but I don't like enjoy swimming. But what I do like doing is jumping in the waves, right? Especially when it's like warm water, right? Jump in the waves and then go back out where my feet can touch and then jump in the waves, right? And when you're looking this way, I mean, some of you guys, this happened to you too, where you jump in the waves, jump in the waves, jump in the waves, and then you look behind you and you realize that your stuff is like way down the beach, Right? Because little by little, when you were facing this way, you were just moving, drifting a little bit, little bit, little bit, and you have to get out, go over to your stuff again, and jump in the, the waves again. It's the same way with our lives. We drift. We drift. And it's not intentional. 
We just drift. We got to realize that there's a, there's a current that is constantly pulling us, whether through social media or pop culture or even our own kind of heart, drifting, drifting us away from God. All the forces of nature are not pushing us towards God. When we're walking towards God, we are going counterculture, right? So this is just recognizing that our hearts will drift and we need to realign. Practically, how do I do this? Slowly. This is not a quick thing for me because I get distracted. So I'll start praying, God, search me. Did we get milk from the grocery store? I wonder if there's a new episode of that Marvel show coming out yet. God, search me. <laughs> you know, it's like, this is, if, if you feel like you're, that's how I pray. I walk when I pray many times. And the reason why I do is so I don't get distracted. Right? My, one of my best friends in high school, Adam, he could like sit in a chair and go like this and pray for like an hour. I'd be asleep in three minutes. I don't know why. I can't sleep at night many times, but I can sleep when I pray really fast. Right? So what I do practically is I sit there and walk or stand and I say, God, I pray this first. God, search me. I go through different areas of my life. Anything I did this last week, I think about what I did on screens this last week on my phone, on my iPad. God, is there anything there that's out of whack? I look at spending over the past week. Sometimes I'll even pull up like my transaction history from that week. Anything out of line? God, anything that you want me to do differently with the stuff that you've given me? I look at my schedule. God, anything that you want me to shift? It's practically, is there any sin in my life? I look at the relationships in my life. Anything that is out of whack? There's this idea, and we talk about a small group a little bit, of rule of life. Rule of life, the, the word rule comes from the Greek word for trellis. Trellis, if you guys do any sort of like gardening, I don't, I have a black thumb. What, what a trellis does is it allows plants to be the most fruitful they can be, to be as healthy as they can be. And you and I are designed to be the same way, right? So there needs, there's a minimum structure. So for me, my rule of life is simply a list of values. My values about finances, my values about relationships, my spiritual walk, my physical fitness, all those things, my walk with God, there's values. Like one of my values is I will not let my heart drift from my daughters. Won't let it happen, right? Even during adolescence and kind of like attitude, right? During high school, this is their general tone of life. Mm. Like that's just the, the posture of their life right now. Right? So in the middle of all that, my rule of life that I go through every Friday, my value says, Taka, don't let your heart drift. Whether you walk away in the season because you're too busy or they walk away because they're, eh, right? Because they're just doing this until their phone dies and then they come back to the world, right? Don't let your heart drift. So there's all these values, right? I want to be generous. At one point, my goal was to tied, right? So 10%. And that was a long journey to get from 0% to 10%. And then now our, our family mission is to give more away percentage-wise this year than we gave away last year. I cannot wait for the day where we get audited because the government's like, you, you shouldn't, you can't give that much away. But like, boom, I've arrived, right? So that's one of my values is extreme generosity. So look at my spending. Do I, have I done that this week, right? So going verse by verse. And then here's what I do. From this evaluation of my rule of life, my values, I create my schedule that week, right? 
hey, party, right? Kids are having a good time. So here's, here's what I do with that. Say I feel like my daughter, one of my daughters, you know, they're busy with sports or whatever, so we, I don't feel close to them. So what I'll do is I got to run to Home Depot on Thursday afternoon, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to force them to come with me. Simple. And they're not going to want to because remember, right? So, but I'm going to force them to come with me. I'm going to go, I, you know, I probably need to go on a daddy-daughter date. Go watch that new movie they want to watch. Something to bring our hearts closer together. So then you're making decisions in your schedule based on your values. Or else if you don't do that, you just become a slave to the immediate. Whatever's in front of you, whatever everyone needs from you, right? So success is not when everything goes up and to the right. Sometimes your values lead you in ways where it goes down, right, as far as success goes. Success for me is when, I, is when what I say is most important gets the best of me. That's success. When what I say is most important gets the best of me. So weird thing with priorities, a lot of times, I, don't, I never understood this, but the weird thing about priorities is what we say is the most important many times gets our leftovers. You ever find that? So you can take, if we, we took the next 15 minutes and said, hey, we'll write out your priorities, the ideal things you want to put on the wall. Okay, cool. What happens a lot of times is during busy seasons, during chaotic seasons, those individuals that you said were the most important get your leftovers. Those things of financial fitness or generosity or health or working out or whatever you say is most important, get your leftovers. What priorities are is their pre-choice choices. They're pre-decisions, right? So one of our values is that my primary goal, as far as work and stuff goes, is my wife, my kids, and then the church. The reason why that's so clear, and my, my kids, you can ask my kids, who's most important in my life? They'll say Natalie. Why? Because we knew that if our marriage is strong, everything else will fall in line. Right? So that, you know, even when they're little, you know, who do you love more? Mommy. That's it. But you know what that does? It gives them security knowing there's stability in the home. Right? And we'll still have a relationship when the kids leave and go to school. When you center it around the kids, then it's amazing what a vacuum is created when the kids leave. Because you built the house on structure that is now removed. Right? Values, values. So little by little, little becomes much. Little by little, little becomes much. Little by little, the decisions you make with your health, with your finances, with your spiritual walk, with your relationships, little by little, little becomes much. And what realignment does once a week, if you really do this once a week, your heart never drifts from what you say you believe is important. You constantly have to adjust. You gotta realize the first mission that landed on the moon adjusted their rudder over 100,000 times. They were not a rudder, but adjusted their, their uh, angle of approach. <laughs> they don't have rudders. They're not like real boats, all right? But uh, they're constantly adjusting. Some of us were like, oh, no, six months ago, I set the direction. Yeah, how's that going? Really, practically, right? You're constantly going to have to adjust, right? So I challenge you, start simply. Some of this, like creating a whole rule of life, may be too or super daunting for you. But look, start simply. Just get a piece of paper 
and write down some key values around big categories, right? Relationships, your walk with God, your finances, your time, your health. What are the values? And be realistic. My value isn't like six pack. That'd be awesome, but I work really hard for my one pack. Okay, so it just, it just is what it is, all right? So what are some key values around all these things? And then what is a practical way to actually, what's the actual rule to make that happen, right? So a key value is I want, a, I want a strong relationship with God. Okay, I'm gonna pray and read my Bible daily. Even if it's for a few minutes or an hour, just something daily, right? I wanna be financially healthy. Okay, I give away 10, I save 10, I live off 80%. Whatever financial health is for you, but you create those rules, then you go back to it every week. It's not this New Year's resolution you keep for three days. You go back to it every week and go, am I actually living as if this were true. So the question with this is, God, where have my lived actions drifted from my stated values? Where have my lived actions drifted from my stated values? God, search me. Where am I lying through my teeth? Where am I actually not doing what I say is important, right? And then lastly, re-engage, re-engage. If you do Sabbath right and There'll be huge chunks of time where you do it wrong because you're just surviving, all right? But when you do Sabbath right, you'll be rested. You'll be re-energized. You'll have a full, grateful heart full of joy. You'll be realigned with your values and you'll be ready to re-engage on this co-laboring mission with God for, to bring his values that week to his people. At some point, we'll take this further and we'll talk about healthy rhythms throughout the week. Because doing time off, the Sabbath, right, doesn't matter if you're unhealthy during your time on. Okay? Doing time off right doesn't matter if you're not healthy during time on. I can't cut myself all week, stop cutting myself for one day, and wonder why I'm bleeding all over the place. Okay? So there has to be. You can't take enough Sabbaths or vacations to counter unhealthy habits when you're time on. Because what will happen? You'll go on an expensive, long vacation, and then you'll go back, and within hours of being back in this toxic cycle, you'll feel drained. You'll want to go. Why? Because of the way you do time on. We'll talk about that. It's a topic for another day. Last week, we talked about how God created man and then gave man work, gave man responsibility. Bless you, right? Why? Be, this is before the fall. This is before sin. Why? Because work isn't a product of sin. I think sometimes we can believe that. When I was a teenager, I really believed that, that chores were like the product of the fall. But it, it's not what it is. Work is a good thing. We need to work, right? Work is good. So Sabbath is not only a rest from the last six days. Sabbath is preparing for the next six days. The point of Sabbath is to re-engage for the next six days. You ever heard of the Great Commission? You spent any time in church, you've heard of this idea of, a, of the Great Commission. The Great Commission is Jesus' last challenge to his disciples, the leaders of the church at that time. Just, just this motley crew of individuals who had no business leading, but Jesus believed in them. 
And he goes, if you do nothing else, focus on this. In Matthew 28, he says this as the great commission. He says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is the primary mission of all believers. This is not a side mission. This is not, a, if you get around to it, it'd be nice to. This is, if you do one thing as a, as a follower of Christ, this is it. This is it. Even more important than going to church, more important than singing songs, more important than tithing, this is the most important. The problem is church, especially for us Western Christians, has become like a good thing to do if I get around to it. Especially in this season, if the church says all the right things, and there are so many landmines with that right now, if they say all the right things about masks and vaccines and elections and all this, if they say all the right things, if they have a service time that fits with my sleeping schedule, if they have branding that I think is cool enough, if they have a convenient location, because I'm not going to drive like four miles to go to church, if they have a convenient location, if they have good enough music, then I'll go sometimes. Like that's what the church is so many times. The church in scripture is this word called ecclesia. Ecclesia. And it has nothing to do with the building. The, the, the word ecclesia means gathering. It's the people. So you, see, you know that when we growing up, you might have heard like, this is the church, here's a steeple, open the doors, and there's the people, right? It's not like that. What it is is this is a building, that's a steeple, open the doors, and there's the church. It's, it's a difference. We're the church. This is why we can move locations, but we're still the church. And our mission as a church is not to have services. Our mission as a church is to do what Jesus said is the most important thing. That after committing your heart to Christ, this is your primary, primary calling. To be a disciple and to make disciples. To be a disciple and to make disciples. What that means is to leverage the skill set God has given you. Because I know the minute I say that, some of you guys are like, I don't want to speak. I don't want to train. Like, what does that look like? I, could, I walked down the street with 12 you know, mini-me's following me and I'm like teaching them wise sayings like a, like a rabbi? No. Some of you guys, you guys are programmers. You're coders, right? I don't even understand how your mind works. I'll, like, some of my coder friends will send me like memes of like coder jokes, like programmer jokes, and I don't even understand like what, it, what I'm looking at, right? But you guys get it. Our church database is all like, uh, it, it works because of custom code. So we're able to see who's connected, who's not, who used to be connected but is not anymore to see benevolence and how we're engaging the community, all that stuff because of custom code. Do you know how we're able to pastor that way? Because of programmers in the church that use their time so that we can pastor well. Some of you guys are designers. The only reason why the church looks halfway decent with our design is because I'm not designing anything, right? Do you know how I would design like a youth group logo? I would Google youth group logo, right? And that's not a win for anybody. But because we have designers in, this, in, the, in the church, I went to school for that, and are actually really good at that, that we have decent design. So many people in the church, the reason why they're having a party right now in the kids' area is because there's people that love hanging out with kids, and kids love it when they hang out with them. 
right? And they give their time that way. Some of you guys have leadership gifts and that's the way God is gonna give you. You just, you can get a team, you can build a team, you can encourage a team, you can train people, you can build people. That's a gift. And you don't understand why people around you can't build people like you can. I don't know. You're gifted to do it. And that's your area of greatest contribution. Some of you guys, the Bible talks about this idea that it is the Lord who gives the ability to produce wealth. Some of you, you're just able to produce wealth. You just know how to do it. You connect with people. You, when you get around other people who live in that kind of realm of financial status, you get their language, you talk to them. You, could, you are great at encouraging them to live with mission and purpose and something bigger than themselves. You understand that in a way that I never will. That's your area of greatest contribution. Some of you guys are really great at welcoming people. You're great hosts. Some of introverts, some extroverts, but you're great at hosting people. You love having people in your house. You actually, some of you guys actually bought homes with the idea of hosting small groups and events at your home because that's part of your DNA. That you're okay with the house getting a little more messed up, that you don't get carpet because you can't host with carpet, right? You know that. But it's part of, you know it's the way God wired you up. It's your way of greatest contribution. Some of you guys are great cooks. You know, one of my favorite things about small group on Friday was that we had good food, right? We said, we actually, we made some core, a list of core values for our small group. We said food was a core value of our small Why? Because life is relationships and relationships are built on good food, right? When there's good food, conversation is better. I pray better when we have good food, right? So some of you guys are good cooks. I shouldn't cook anything. I cook with Uber Eats, right? It's awesome. It's consistent every time, right? Because that's not, my, but, but it's, it's your area of greatest contribution. So the reality is this is a co-mission. The Great Commission is a co-mission. All of us doing our part. First Corinthians, Paul talked about this idea of we're a body. We all have different parts of the body. They're all valuable. Your part of the body matters. And the body isn't the same if you aren't playing your part. So what's your skill set? What are the gifts God's given you? And how do you engage with that? This is why we end each week like this. Some of you guys are newer to the church. We're wondering, why do we end like, with like arms like this? So some of you guys that are OGs of the church, it's become almost a religious thing. Oh yeah, we end, end of service. The reason why we do this, the reason why we talked about this, the very beginning before we even launched the church, we were just having like interest meetings in our living room. So we said we wanted to end each, each service like this. Because we want the end of service not to be a, did my good deed for the week, now I'm gonna live whatever I wanna live this week. We want the end of service to be a commissioning service where we say, God, I'm surrendered to you. God, now send me to my cubicle, to my meeting room, to my Zoom calls this week, to my classroom. Send me to go make a difference where you've sent me. God has put gifts and dreams in all of you. All of you. Every single one of you have a gift or dream or multiple God has put into your heart. Can I challenge you? That's important. It's important. Don't ignore it. People won't understand it. People will think you're crazy, and you probably are, but a good kind of crazy. Don't be held back by fear. If it's worth doing, you're going to be afraid. Of course you will. It's good. It'd be weird if you weren't afraid. But don't be held back by fear. Don't be held back by insecurity. Again, if it's worth doing, you're going to be insecure about it. 
Don't be held back by imposter syndrome. If it's worth doing, you're going to feel like there's someone else that should be doing it, not you, because, I mean, who are you? And don't be held back by laziness. Some of you guys need to stop talking about it and start doing something about it. No one cares about the dream you've been talking about for the last five years. You know, one day you're going to do something. Today, do something. Work towards it. But here's the thing. Don't pursue those dreams for you. That's the whole point. Don't pursue those dreams for you. Do it for God. Of course, God wants your business to succeed. Because when it does, there'll be more resources to build God's kingdom. Of course, God wants you to build your platform, build your influence, if that's what God has called you to do. Because he can trust you to point people to him and not to you when you get more influence. As long as our heart is focused on making disciples and building his kingdom and not our kingdom. Last verse before we close. 2 Corinthians 9, uh, verse 10. It says, And God, who supplies seed for the sower and bread to eat, will supply you with all the seed you need to make it grow and produce a rich harvest from your generosity. What this is saying is, when you sow your seed of your talents, finances, your time, whatever, you would think you would have less seed, right? But what God does is to those that are generous, I'll give them the ability to be even more generous. And those of you guys that have lived this way, you're generous with your time, your talents, the finances God has put into your life, you don't have less, you have more. It's weird how that works. And it seems like the times in my life when I was the most stingy, especially times like now where, where fear and unknown is kind of ruling the day, you kind of tend to hoard, right? And what's weird is the times where I've been most selfish is the times where I've had the least. It doesn't make any sense. When I'm generous, it's almost like God multiplies my generosity. So I want to challenge you, re-engage re-engage. Some of us have kind of checked out of our faith. We just, we go to church, but we've checked out of our faith. We've checked out of this co-mission with God. Can I challenge you? Re-engage. What if we did this? Just want you to think about it. What if we as a church, little voice church, startup church, what if we as a church actually did this? What if we took this seriously? What if we actually found the time to rest each week, to re-energize, to realign, to take time to, be, to be, be full of gratitude and joy, and then to use our energies to re-engage with the mission of God. I think this would be a church full of joy, a church full of mission, a church full of peace, and a church that God can use to impact a community. I really believe that. And I don't know about you, that's the kind of church I wanna be a part of. I don't wanna go to a show every week. I want to be a part of a community that actually takes this thing seriously and out of hearts of joy and peace make a difference in our world when we leave this place. So here's the final question with re-engage. Is what's the next step for you to engage with the mission here at Forest? What's the next step for you to engage with the mission here at Voice? Now, it doesn't mean like serve on a Sunday. It could mean serve on a Sunday. It could just mean what do you, maybe you are attending, but you need to join a small group because you you know you're feeling lonely. There's a solution here called community. Or maybe you're going, gosh, I've heard about the Young Lives thing. I, th I, want, I want to do more with that. Let's get you connected. 
Let's get you connected. You don't have to go through voice. We'll connect you directly to Young Lives. Go train, go support them financially, give your time, your talents there. Or if there's other organizations, I, I want nothing more than for you to go, I feel like I wanna do this in the community. How can I help? Okay, great. There are, there are community partners all over the place, whether in the city or all around the world that we can connect you to, to be part of what God is doing around the world. But what's the next step for you to engage with the mission here at Voice? One last thing I wanna put on your radar is there is a thing called engage, ironically. It's called, a, I thought a long time, it's not, it wasn't, I'm not smart enough to connect those two. Engage was a four week class. Many of you guys have gone through it. Four weeks after service, because of everything going on, we're moving that to a one day. So it's nine to one o'clock, we'll feed you breakfast and lunch. Uh, Childcare is provided. If you have a child, uh, you can't just bring a random child. But if you have a child, we'll take care of the child uh, for you. Nine to one o'clock and we walk through vision values of the church, but as well as some spiritual disciplines and fundamentals. If you have not gone through Engage yet, maybe you started coming uh, online over the past year and a half or so, I wanna challenge you to do it September 25th. It's at Natalie and I's house, all right? And again, it's just a time for us to get the nine, nine to one o'clock that day. Just fill out a connection card or email us or text or whatever, sign up. That, that would be the greatest next step if you haven't done it. Let me pray for us uh, and then we'll sing this one last song together, all right? God, we just thank you for being so faithful, so good. God, we just really wanna make a difference for you, God. God, if there's anybody here who hasn't made a decision to trust you with their whole heart, they kind of dance the, around the idea of following you, but man, there's a lot of, a lot of questions, a lot of walls, a lot of things that we've seen and been a part of. God, I pray that you would compel them to trust you with their full heart. And God, we pray for the rest of us as a church. God, would you help us to not just do services, although they're great and they add so much value, but God, we want to make a difference Monday through Saturday too. So use us, give us boldness and tact as we approach talking about you to our coworkers, our friends, our teammates, about the greatness and the goodness of you, God. Help us. Would heaven be more full because the way you use us this week. And God, I pray for the conviction of God for anybody in this room that is ignoring a weekly Sabbath. Would you help us to start on the right path, even if it's a fourth of a day once a week? Would you get us in the right direction? Because you want something for us, not something from us. God, no condemnation, no guilt, no shame. You want us to live with peace and joy and mission. So I pray this would be a path to do that. We surrender to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you stand to your feet? Let's sing this together.